Our sermon series is called Christmas Hope, and we started it last week already because we wanted to be early, and uh, we jumped right into the season. But I think someone told me that today is officially the start of Advent, right? Is this true? So today is December 1st. It fell on a Sunday this year, and Advent season begins. By the way, I want to say welcome back to all our hunters. We're glad you're here. We saw some of the cool photos from that, so praise God for, uh, for that season as well. But this morning, we're going to continue in our series where we've been looking at the first two chapters of the book of Luke. And so if you've not been here and you want to catch up or if you're going to, you know, be with us, I would encourage you to continually to continue to read the first two chapters of the book of Luke as we explore together the Christmas season. And I know it's kind of funny because we can this is an annual thing for us and we remember every year what God has done and yet we pray, and my prayer has been, that God would show us new things, that we would have new excitement and new passion for who he is, for what Christmas is about, without getting into some big, like, you know, culture war about it, just what it's about for us, uh, not for anybody else, just for us, what it really means to us. And um, last week, we talked kind of about the beginning of this season with a call of a prophet, promise made, uh, that we can thank God for, and the confidence in God's promises. And this week, it kind of continues that same theme. Um, as we get into the text this morning, I'm wondering, though, and I want us to think, it's hard to kind of shake the answer sketch and think clearly about Christmas, because we've experienced it so many times in the same ways. A matter of fact, somebody decorated, praise God for that. I'm not sure who did that, but it looks awesome. And, uh, and so we, we get in these patterns, we just think, well, of course this is what it means, of course this is what it's about. But as we get into today's text, I wonder, if you were going to go about predicting the Messiah, how would you do it? We talked last week about Zechariah in the temple and Gabriel showing up and talking to Zechariah on this special day, Zechariah's one and only day at the Holy of Holies serving in the temple at, in the burnt offering. I mean, how would you go about announcing the promise being fulfilled? What would it look like? In other words, I would ask this question, what would you make Christmas like? How would you proclaim the one who is going to save the whole world? See, I think we get in these patterns where we expect it to be a certain way, but we must think, but how did it start? Why is it the way it is? And so today we're going to tell a bit of that story about why it is the way it is. Um, we're going to do what we always do with family Bible. We're going to pray before we get into God's word. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to grab one off the end of the chair rows around you. There should be one um, there, and uh, we're going to read and talk through that in a moment, but for now, join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much this morning for a chance to come into your house and to learn more about you. And Father, for that to happen, you have to be our teacher. We have no wisdom of our own, and I claim no wisdom, no special knowledge of my own, Father, apart from you and who you are. And so this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our instructor, that you would teach us in our innermost being, that we would know you more deeply, and that by revelation, by your divine revelation, Father, we could learn more about who you are this Christmas season. May you be glorified and may we be open to your teaching. May each one of us gathered here and everyone listening be open to the things that you would have for us this Christmas season. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38. So Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 give you just a second to turn there, and then we're going to jump right in here. This story is going to connect a little bit to last week's story because it comes right on the heels of it, of course, right? But I'm going to start off here. It says this, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. Right away, I was like, what? Six, in the sixth month of what? In, in the sixth month of what? Like, in the sixth month of the year? In the sixth month of Mary's pregnancy? Because he was already a little ahead of the text. Like, is Mary already pregnant here? What's going on in six months? Remember the very last line. This is what in, we read last time. It says, uh, Elizabeth said this, 25. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's a kind of interesting timeline thing here. So in the sixth month now, God has made his promise with Zechariah. Remember, Zechariah is mute, can't speak. And then in the sixth month of that, then God sends an angel to Mary. So one thing we want to point out here is this is the second appearance of Gabriel in the Christmas story announcing the coming of the Messiah. Now let's look at what the word says. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's a whole lot of like connections. Did you catch that? It's like a very specific thing. An angel of the Lord, Gabriel, we've heard of him before, was sent to Galilee. That's a region, an area of the Middle East. Um, to a town called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, Joseph the man of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. It kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've ever done like Google Maps, but it kind of reminds me of Google Maps where like, you know, you start off in this like, you ever scroll your mouse in Google Maps, you, you know, you, you look up something like, where's this thing at? And then it shows you in this little image on the research results, and you click it, and you can't tell where you're at, and then you zoom back a little bit, and you're like, oh, I see where it's at. I can see Illinois now, or I can see Missouri, or I can see the state, or I can see the country. Maybe you're trying to find, like, where's Guatemala? You look it up, and then you scroll out. And you're like, oh, there it is. Okay, and you scroll back in, and you find out what you're trying to look for. It's like this narrative, this grand, and I think this is an interesting thing, this grand narrative of, of the coming Messiah, this great announcement by this angel was like, dialed in to not just a region of the world and not just to a city, because by the way, there were like 240 cities-ish in, in, uh, in Galilee. So it, it, wasn't like a, it wasn't like the only town available, Nazareth, right? To a very specific town. And then not only that, but to a very specific person. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but there were like four or five Marys in the Bible at least. Seven. Thank you, Steve. Totally tracking, praise God, seven. So we have all these Marys. Which one? Which one? Which Mary? Which Mary is this? It's, it's the Virgin Mary. How many Virgin Marys are there in the Bible? One. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. I don't know if other ones are virgins or not. But there's one virgin betrothed to Joseph, a man of the house of David. You see, there's this narrowing scope of the story. God's begun this kind of break, great proclamation and then all of a sudden, he dials it into a region, dials it into a city, dials it into a person, but not, but which one of these? But this one who's, married, who's, proposed, who's engaged to this one for this purpose. It's very specific. And I think that sometimes that we can get those kind of things. I don't know if you guys have done your Christmas decorations at home yet, but one of the things we've done is we've, we got ours out and we did a nativity thing and we set up the nativity. And you put those little pieces out and it's just, of course, it's Mary. Of course, it's Joseph. Of course, it's the baby. But Why? Why specifically these people? Why specifically this place? You can say, well, because that's what God wanted. Fair enough. But what is it that God was 
teaching us about this Messiah when he says these things? Well, we're going to hear some of this. And some of this has already been kind of alluded to. The sin of David, of the house of David, a virgin was going to have a child. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So this is the first word that Gabriel now has to Mary. You remember that he showed up and talked to Zechariah in the temple in the, in the, in the Holy of Holies or near the Holy of Holies while he was doing this, this offering, the burnt offering. But here he greets Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The word greetings actually means grace. It's like grace, you who are highly full of grace. He says a few things here to Mary that we maybe ought to pay attention to. And, and I want to kind of break this out a little bit because I think it explains some of the stuff that maybe we don't understand that, that our brothers and sisters are doing. So I want to talk about that just for a hot minute. But listen to what it says. He introduces himself and he says, grace to you, one who is favored with grace. He's kind of proclaiming a blessing, um, but saying that, that she's already fully blessed. It, it reads like this, rejoice or be glad. Or here's a word, Hail. That was an interesting one to me. Hail. Hail. You've heard this before, haven't you? What does it say? Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Have you heard this? Hail, Mary. That's where that comes from. Full of grace. The Lord is with you. The angel Gabriel is proclaiming some things here to this particular person, this particular place, about God's favor. He says, rejoice, be glad. You are highly favored. You are full of grace. In other words, you could say it this way, you are open to God's grace in your life. There's something about Mary that she's open to God's grace. I don't claim to understand that fully. We're going to hear a little more about Mary. But interesting to me that this proclamation comes with this great blessing. You are highly favored. And then he says this. So the first thing is grace you're full of, you're, you're, you're filled with, you're open to God's grace. And the second thing he says is this, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Now, I, I'm seeing something here that's interesting. Um, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. But before we get on to the troubling words, it says this, blessed are you amongst women. And that, that's in the, the original text. It says, blessed are you amongst women. And the word blessing is a, a, a um, Eugleo, it's, it's, it's uh, spoken well of, praise, that, 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 that there's, there's good things being said about who you are. So this introduction from Gabriel comes in three forms. Grace to you, the Lord is with you, and you're blessed amongst women. You're blessed. I think uh, the, probably the word that comes to mind most immediately for me is a, a eulogy at a funeral. That's what, who's going to do the eulogy? I don't know. Who's doing a eulogy? What is eulogy? It's a kind word. It's, it's a favorable testimony. It's, it's, a, it's an encouragement to others. And these, this threefold kind of introduction is Mary's introduction to Gabriel. Now, I want to remind you that, because Mary's about to react and respond to this great blessing that's coming her way, but I want to remind you that last time we talked about Zechariah and how he responded in the, in the temple when he sees us, Gabriel comes to him, and, and he, 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 he kind of gets, uh, you know, limited after this. He can't speak. Even now, in this text, he can't speak at this point in time. Well, let's look at 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words 
and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The word says that she was greatly agitated, greatly stirred up. She was perplexed. Matter of fact, the word means that she was stirred up to her limits. She couldn't have been any more confounded by what she's experienced. Sometimes we read these stories and they're all so, um, uh, we read it so passively. Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord's with you. And Mary's mind's blown right now. She's like, what? What is going on? She couldn't have handled any more information in this moment. And the word says that she was greatly troubled. And then she began to wonder what kind of greeting this was. Um, she was considering it and debating it, reasoning in her head. What does this mean? And indeed, what she was asking is, where is this from? The, the, um, the word is, is uh, like, from what country does this come? I, I've never had this kind of experience. And not that you would expect to have had this kind of experience, but you must, we must in some ways, when we look at Christmas, come and put ourselves in the eyes of the humans who experienced it. And Mary's like, I don't know what this means. It's easy to read this and think that she would go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is Christmas. This is that story about what God's going to do, about what God has done. But for Mary, it's a, it's a limiting, it's, a, it's at the very edges of her ability to believe and understand. It's, it's, it's very on the very edge. And she's not even sure about it. Gabriel goes on in verse 30. But the angel said to her, maybe saved by the bell here, by the way. She only had a chance to think about it. She hasn't said anything yet. This may be a good thing, right? The angel said to her, do not be afraid. So you can see there's fear in Mary's response. Don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. And then he begins to proclaim some things. So first of all, we talked about maybe thinking that God's um, people are always being blessed and it's always good news and it's always what you want to hear and it's always the way you want to hear it. So he says, you have found favor with God. That's a good thing, right? Don't be afraid. And then he begins to kind of um, break out some things. But he says this, uh, watch. It's not, it's not written in the NIV there, but it's there in 31. It says, behold, um, watch what God's going to do. You just watch and see. And now he begins to proclaim some predictions about Jesus, some predictions about what is coming in this Messiah's birth, in this revelation from heaven. So he says, you're... Don't be afraid. You found favor. Now watch. Watch what? 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. That's the first three things. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's the next three. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And lastly, his kingdom will have no end. So Mary has this particular person in this particular place, has heard this particular word to her, and, and she's perplexed. She's at her limits. She doesn't know what to think of it. She's starting to debate, is this a good or a bad thing? And then Gabriel begins to inform her what's going on. You're going to have a child. You're going to conceive a child in your womb. I, I just can't help myself but to stop here again and say, we praise God for life. We thank God for life. It's a miracle every time. But this is the way that God chose to reveal himself when he manifests the Messiah. I mean, God had any way he wanted to do it, and he chose to go to this person, pledge to that person, to, to have her conceive a child as part of the fulfillment of all the prophets. 
As part of fulfillment, listen, of all the promises of God, God began the fulfillment of all these promises by saying, you're going to conceive a child. The word is very specific here. You will conceive a child in your womb. I know you go like, I get it, man. I get it. I know how babies are made. I understand this. But the Bible's being very specific. This is the first thing that Gabriel proclaims. You're going to conceive a child in your womb, Mary, and you're going to have a son. You know, gender reveal parties? (laughs) Spoiler alert, it's going to be a boy. (laughs) Wait a minute. Hasn't been conceived yet. It's going to be a boy. Congratulations. Right? Boy. Get ready, Mary. You're going to have a boy. And the the, the third spoiler here, you're going to name him Jesus. Now, I kind of have to wonder, like, yes. Do you say no to this at this point? God's like, you will name him Jesus, but I want you to understand that Jesus, the word Jesus, is Yeshua. It's uh, Yeshua in, in Hebrew, and it means Yahweh is salvation. God saves. God is salvation. And so Mary is instructed, the first three things are about Jesus, that you're going to conceive him. This is very much about his humanity here. This is about sweet baby Jesus, right? Sweet baby Jesus coming into the world. You're going to conceive him, he's going to be a boy, and you're going to call him Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. Now, then he begins, so that's a very, I want you to see that, that's the very specific, very minute, I mean, almost the most intimate thing God could say about Messiah has been said as far as humanity is concerned. Very, it's going to be here, you, this place, this time, it's going to happen. And then he begins to pull back. See, we've scrolled all the way in with the... Google Maps, we've seen the location. He starts to scroll back out, right? Now let's see what he's going to do. He's going to be called great. No, he's going to be great. That's what the Bible says. He's going to be great. The word is megas, right? We talked about this before, but mega. It's going to be a big deal, Jesus. He will be great. And that doesn't just mean great in his uh, stature. It doesn't mean great in his um, renown. I want you to think about how great Jesus is. I mean, putting aside any cynicism anything else you think about the world, everyone almost, okay, not everyone, but almost everyone on the planet knows Jesus, this very specific person, this very specific place has become world-renowned. He will be great. He will be great. I want you to think about the greatness of who he is in our lives. Great. I want you to think about the greatness of the cross that he bore. Great. More than all that, the very Son of God, Messiah, the promises keep coming. He's going to be great. The third, he will be, or the, the like a fifth, right? He will become, he'll be known as the son of the most high. He will be called the son of the most high, right? The word there means the highest, the son of the highest. A couple things come to mind with this for me, right? Do you remember the first time that Abram sacrificed, he made a sacrifice to God? It was to the God most high, I believe, right? And, uh, and so that go, that's a callback to a long time ago that there's this, it's, I think it's Elohim, that there's this God that's worthy of worship and that, that we are going to sacrifice for. He's going to be called his son. So he, he goes from this very specific person, Gabriel does, to this great and grand story of God's love and value and worth. 
his holiness, the, the right that we should worship him and, and honor him and follow him. He will be called the son of the most high, the highest. That's the fifth thing Gabriel says to Mary. And then he goes now into the specific history of Israel. He will be called, let's see here, uh, the Lord of God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, see, now Mary's, okay, now I understand part of the story. Elohim, now, yes, and now all of a sudden, my people, the house of David, he's going to have his, what, throne. He's going to have his seat of power. You remember that um, God had made a promise that someone would come and reign in the throne of David, fulfilling God's promises to his people. So now he begins to knit it into the people of God. I, I, I don't quite have a category for what this would mean because I'm not Jewish in that way, right? I'm not like Jewish. And, and to have someone say that to you, that your child will rule in the throne of King David, it must have been, again, a mind-blowing revelation. To set on the seat of authority, to rule as a king. And then he, so that's the next three things, right? So you kind of pull back into the story, the son of the most high, sitting on the throne of David, he's going to be great. And then he goes, these final two details here. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob. I want you to see what's happening. That, that, this, this narrative keeps bumping back and bumping back. I mean, the most high, if you take it from the first revelation to Abram, you go, okay, that's before. But then he kind of goes, it's the house of David. You go, wow, the house of David. What can be more than that? And he goes, oh, by the way, he's going to rule over the, the kingdom of, what does it say? The... Um, He's going to rule over the household of Jacob, the household of Jacob. He will rule over it. Do you remember Jacob? Jacob's one that wrestled with God. Jacob's one that had the brother Esau and the whole story there. But he wrestled with God, and Jacob becomes who? Israel. Yeah. So all of a sudden, now it's like, you're going to rule over the household of Israel. He will rule over the household of Israel is another proclamation, another proclamation that Gabriel makes to Mary. And then, as if all that wasn't enough, then you pull all the way back to this eternal, universal view. And of his kingship, there will be no end. See, they say it about the household of Jacob, that he'll rule in the household of Jacob forever. But just in case you missed it, his kingdom will never end. It will go on and on and on and on and on forever. Your child, your son, this one Jesus all these things are, re are revealed to her in this moment that she's already had her mind blown by the greeting. What kind of greeting is this? And into that fear-filled environment, all these truths are spoken. So now I wonder what's going to come. Look at 34 with me. Easy, Mary. Easy. We just read about Zechariah. <laughs> 34. Whew, easy. You know what she says? How will this be? I want to remind you, remember Zechariah? Zechariah, you're going to have a child, you know? And, and he's like, he's like uh, how, how am I going to know? I, I can't have a kid. My, my wife can't have a kid. I'm old. She's old. You know, this whole thing, right? Here's Mary. How can this be? And all of a sudden, I'm going, oh, no, look out. It's going to be the same thing. How can it be since I'm still a virgin? She's addressing a practical issue here. Like, how am I going to have a child? It's great that you're saying this, but how? I want to point out, I really was perplexed by this. I'm like, boy, it's the same thing. And, uh, and no, it's a similar response, I should say. Not the same thing. It's a similar response. I'm like, what is it, though? But 
you know what I found, and I just want to share this with you. Zechariah didn't say, how can this happen? He said, how can I know this will happen? Mary doesn't say, how can I know this will happen? She's like, how's it going to happen? You see, in her, in her, her response to God is a faithfulness, not about the revelation that's going to come to pass, but the practicality of how is it going to work. She, she's not saying, how am I going to know? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, that's what Zechariah did. I'm not going to make too much of this, but she just says, how? I'm, I'm a virgin. How can this happen? And I'm literally reading the text, and I was holding my breath going, oh, what's he going to say? And the angel answers with more, just answers the question, says an answer to her. It doesn't, there's no kind of rebuke about now you've not believed. It's like, here's the deal. 35, listen to the word. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so he literally answers her questions. When she says, how, how can this be since I've never known a man? How can, I, how can I have a baby? She asks a very practical question, and he gives a practical answer. Three-fold here. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. The Holy Spirit of God will enter you. The Holy Spirit of God will fill you. Remember the greeting, full of grace, full of God. You're open to what God is doing in your life. The Holy Spirit's going to work from the inside out. This is how it's going to happen. It's the second thing, though. The power, the dunamis of the Most High. Remember, he'll be called the Son of the Most High God. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, will overwhelm you, will be present in ways that's unique and will never be done, have never been done before, and will never be done since. Like, it's a unique overshadowing, the power of the Most High. And the third thing, the Holy One being born will be called the Son of God. All that is laid out for Mary. All that's laid out. I find myself, though, asking the question with her, but how can that be? How can that be? You see, isn't it funny that for the first part of that conversation, we talk about a son being born and Jesus, and even in the tribe of, of Judah, or of, of, um, over Israel, and in the, the, th- the throne of David, and all these things, we go, yeah, yeah, sure, but, but how, is, how is this going to happen? And it seems to me that these next three begin to answer not the fleshly interpretation. All that stuff was about people, about the humanity of Jesus so far, but how is this going to be that I have a, a child and I've never been with man? And the answer is God. That there's this whole other part of what Jesus is. And I think that it's worth taking a moment to just stand in awe and, and, and respect or, and glory of the reality that Jesus Christ, that we celebrate coming at Christmas, is not just a guy like us, that he's fully God. Then when Mary asks this question, how can this be? That's a question I ask too. It's because God is going to intervene. And therefore, in Jesus Christ, he's not just a good guy. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just can do some cool tricks at parties, right? It's not what he's about. He's God in the flesh, God incarnate. And if we don't understand this about Christmas, that the duality of coming together, these two things that are not, they're dissimilar, and to one person, Jesus Christ, we miss the entire point of the advent of Christmas. Every answer that Gabriel gives here is about what God is doing and who God is in Jesus Christ. And he will be known as the Son of God. What a remarkable thing. 
She asked the question about how can this be in my flesh? How is this possible? And it's like, that's not the big question. How is it going to be that God is going to do this? Verse 36. So, so that's what he answers. And, and then he begins to, um, and by the way, that's a prediction, not just, because obviously, how would you predict it? He's not just predicting this coming of a human Messiah, but of a God, a, a truly godly Messiah, God's only son. And then he turns it a bit. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. You remember that we heard the story, but here's the thing. Mary didn't know. You heard the song, Mary, did you know? No, she didn't know. Answer the question. She had no clue. How far along is Elizabeth? Six months. What does this tell us? They must not be bumping into each other all the time. Because, you know, six months, you can tell. Six months, you can start risking that question. Are you pregnant? Probably not before six months, by the way. <laughs> Risky biscuits before that. But here she's told, watch, behold. The same thing that, 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 that Gabriel said to Mary, he says to her here again, behold, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month currently. And then there's this most amazing line, if we hear this story, this line, not just here, but other places in Scripture, but this is what it says here, recorded in 37, because nothing is impossible with God. See, Mary's asking a practical question. He's giving practical answers, right? But the reality is that ultimately, here's the truth, nothing is impossible with God. I, I want to kind of dig into this just for a minute. We'll, we'll end with this. But I want to dig into this for, for a minute because I was amazed by... Um, by the way it reads in the Greek, because it reads really strangely, to my estimation. It reads something like this. Because not will be impossible with God everything. Close. Because not will be impossible with God any matter. You see, it's weird because there's double negative at the beginning. Because not will be impossible any circumstance with God. You see, the, the hard part about it is not the double negative, but the thing at the end. It's not a thing. It's not a matter. It's not a circumstance. It's a word. I had to think of um, Dale Compton when I was prepping this because this is rhema in the Greek. Dale's talking about rhema before, the rhema word. He's saying that, as a matter of fact, some of your translations, I think, may say, because no word of God is impossible. Some translations take, translate it that way. How is this can, how is this going to be? How can this be? The answer is, look, Elizabeth's already six months pregnant. She's old. How? Because nothing is impossible with God. Because there's always, and here's the point, church, enough power, enough ability with God for every single matter. Another way I like the, the, the Rama can be translated is facts. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Like in dialogue or discussion, you know, facts. I love that. I love when people say that. Facts. Because sometimes it's facts and sometimes it ain't facts. But that's what this says. If God says it's going to happen, facts. We can count on it. Not how will I know, but how will it be? Well, because God said it will be. That any time that God makes a proclamation, and we're getting somewhere here, it's fact. It's not a thought. It's not a possibility. It's not an option. It's not an opportunity. It's a fact. 
It's not like if you and I say it, we're gonna like, well, we're gonna we're gonna try. No, no, no. It's gonna happen. Facts. This is how it's gonna be. The Rhema, the word has been spoken. Mary responds here and she says this. And can we just get some respect for the way she interacts? I am the Lord's servant, the Lord's slave, doulos. May it be to me as you have rhema. Right? Not, no, not doubt. May that come to pass. May that be the case. May the things that you have spoken over me come true. And the word says that at that, the angel left her. So this is the end of the revelation to Mary about what's coming. By the way, facts, she's not pregnant yet. She hasn't conceived yet. She's still betrothed to be married to Joseph. But here she is in her humanity saying, I'm open to what you're going to do, God. May it be as you have said, I wonder, where else is this kind of a reference made in Scripture? Thus, this was pretty wild. I'm going to close with this. Do you know who else is called highly favored in the Bible? Do you know who else? The Bible said, blessed are you because you've been overcome with God's grace. Listen to the word. This is the only other place that's found this highly favored status that's proclaimed over Mary. The letter of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Because he chose us in him before the beginning of the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which we ha he has freely given us in the one he loves. Highly favored. It's the same word there in, in verse 6. The glorious grace of God poured out. You see, here's the thing about Christmas. If we read it as about a story about Mary and Joseph and them back then, we miss the blessing that's now for us here. We all not read and say, oh, isn't she highly favored? Aren't, aren't we highly favored? Isn't those who are inheriting the promise of God all the more blessed because they're inheriting the promise of God? All the proclamation made about who God is going to be and who Jesus is is made over ourselves and our households and our lineage. We're adopted in and claimed as his own. Twice, the Bible says, people are highly favored. It's Mary at the coming of Christ. And listen to me, it's those who are being saved. It's those who are being redeemed by Jesus Christ. Us, we are highly favored by God. And I want to say, here's the question then. What's your response? Are, are you like Zechariah? You know, are you, I'm not mad at him, but you're like, uh, how will I know? <laughs> Who's going to tell me? Are you like Mary? Like, how can, how can this be? How's it going to happen? How's my life going to be changed because of Jesus? Like, what, what's it going to look like? Is our response going to be like this? May it happen to me according to your word. Church, you're going to be saved. How can that happen? May it be to us according to your word. This child born in a manger is going to die on a cross to pay for all of your sins. How can it be? May it be to us according to your word. 
See, we're not left out of the Christmas story. We're wrapped up in it. So what's your response going to be? Take God at his word. I want a little more proof. Pray with me if you will. Father God, we thank you for the great grace and mercy you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we get little glimpses and tastes of how good you've been to us and who Jesus is in our life. But Father, that's only an appetite for more. That as we focus in on you and all you've done, that we would recognize the great grace bestowed upon us. Father, may we know all the more this Christmas season. And maybe this year when our eyes catch the Christmas tree or see the wreaths that are hung and all these things that we do, maybe we will recognize that it's not us decorating stuff, it's you decorating us, making us full of grace. I pray, Father God, for brothers and sisters who are here today, who are listening to me right now, who would not believe that you have favored them, that they don't, don't see your blessing. I pray that we would recognize it, we would know it, and that we would be willing participants in that. We would just receive it. May you be glorified as your Holy Spirit continues to adorn us with righteousness. May you, may you teach us obedience. And may we continue to follow after you. And Father, if there are things we need to repent of, I pray we would make it a season of repentance, that we would stop doing the things we ought not to do and start doing the things we ought to do for your glory and for our good. May you be honored as your people continue to respond to you in this Christmas revelation. We pray it in Jesus' mighty and holy name, the people of God say, amen.